Hi friends, this is Melanie. I have a quick announcement before we begin. As you likely know, the re-release of the What When Wine Diet, which is called What When Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine, is now available to pre-order on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. If you read the original book, this version is about 80% new content, and it has 50 amazing gluten-free recipes by celebrity chef Arian Resnick. But I have a special offer for listeners of our podcast. If you pre-order that book and send a picture of your receipt to preorder at ifpodcast.com, I'll send you a few fun things. First, I'll go ahead and send you the holiday recipes from the book. So that is a turkey with apple cranberry chutney, a root veggie mash, which is sort of like mashed potatoes without potatoes, a pumpkin pie, and a paleo pie crust recipe. And those are all just amazing. They also have wine pairings with them as well. You'll also get access to an online quiz to figure out your perfect IF approach. That'll be available starting November 13th. And then lastly, you'll be entered into a drawing to win a phone or a Skype call with me. So that'll be super fun, and I would love to talk to you. So yes, please pre-order that book and send a copy of your receipt to pre-order at ifpodcast.com. All right, thanks so much. Now enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 31 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi, friends. Now, I know most of you are familiar with the power of protein to help us to recompose our bodies, get fitter and leaner by losing body fat and protecting and gaining muscle or lean body mass. Now, protein supplementation is one of the best ways to do it. It is scientifically validated to help us produce high quality weight loss. Now, when it comes to weight loss, traditionally, a lot of people will do high carb, low calorie diets, and those have been shown to generate upwards of 40% lean body mass loss. Now, protecting your lean body mass and your muscle is crucial when you are wanting to lose some fat because during weight loss, you don't want the weight lost to be coming from your muscle. The more muscle you're able to retain, the more you're retaining metabolically active tissue, which is going to keep your metabolic rate much higher and help you maintain the fat loss after you have achieved it. Now, one of the best ways, as I said, to do this is through using protein shakes. I've been on the lookout for years to find a high quality protein supplement that does not have fillers, dyes, artificial sweeteners, and using cheap protein concentrate, which can cause all kinds of issues like bloating and indigestion. 
I finally created a protein supplement that meets my standards and it's something that I personally use every single day and that is Tone Protein. Tone Protein not only is extremely clean and high quality with only whey protein isolate, no concentrates, no fillers. It is also scientifically formulated to optimize muscle protein synthesis, which is going to help you build lean body mass and muscle in the most efficient way possible. I am so incredibly excited about Tone Protein. Not only is it extremely high quality and optimized to help you recompose your body. It is also absolutely delicious. We've been having so much fun with all the different flavors that we are creating, and I just can't wait for you all to try it. Now, I wanted to create a special launch discount for all of you listeners so that you could check it out, try it out, see how you like it, and test it out for yourself. In order to receive that launch discount, you can head over to toneprotein.com and sign up with your name and email address and you'll receive an email to double opt in to the list and you'll be the first to know when Tone Protein is available to order and you will also receive that exclusive launch discount. It is going to be the biggest discount that we ever offer on Tone Protein. So I really want all of you to be able to receive it. So be sure to go to toneprotein.com, sign up with your name and email and you'll be double opted in to that list. And I am so excited for you all to try it out. Let me know what you think of it and let it help you to optimize your body recomposition goals, get that fat loss and maintain and protect your lean body mass while doing it. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumer 
consumers from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 31 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. And how are you today, Jen? Well, I have a really funny story to share. Oh, <laughs> you know how in the the la- well, it's not that funny, but in the last episode we talked about getting sick and what to do when you're fasting. Yes, and I said I haven't been sick since 2016. Yes, and then like one day later I got sick. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, that would happen. Isn't that how it goes? Yes, I'm bragging about how I haven't been sick since 2016 and then boom, sick. It's funny. Whenever I do, I mean, I very rarely get sick ever since I started intermittent fasting, but whenever I do get a little trickle or something in my throat, my first thought is, oh no, what about my testimonial about not getting sick on intermittent fasting? (laughs) Right. Yeah. So I... And, you know, I haven't been taking anything for it. I've had a sore throat and I've been, you know, scratchy voice and a little congestion, but I haven't had to go to bed or stay home from work or I haven't had to stop my daily activities. So I definitely think that the um, intensity is a lot less than, than maybe it would have been no downtime. But yeah, that's just the universe saying, oh, you don't get sick. Boom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the last time I didn't feel well, it was actually the first time. I tried taking like no over-the-counter medicines or anything. And I honestly, I think that was way better doing that yeah. route. I didn't get the, all the all the residual congestion and like the, like the gross feeling from the medicine. And I just felt cleaner even though I was sick. <laughs> oh, yeah. I haven't taken anything. I mean, not even so much as like an Advil because I haven't felt like I needed any symptom relief. I've just been drinking hot, salty water you know, as needed and um, kind of gargling with that. And I do have my olive leaf extract. I don't count that as like a medicine though. Because, oh yeah, I wouldn't count the yeah, herbal no, stuff. No. I mean, it doesn't give you any kind of like, you know, side effect like a medicine would. Like I'm not taking any kind of decongestant or any histamine or anything like that. Yeah, me neither. I just double up on the uh, broths and the uh, the garlic and the oregano and stuff like that so um, actually I have a story it's not related to being sick but last night was the first time that a time change happened and I didn't even 
realize it was going to happen. (laughs) And so I was working (laughs) on my computer because I work late at night on the book and everything. There was this magical moment because it was like, when does it change at like one o'clock? Like 2 a.m. Yeah. Yeah. So it it was 2 a.m. And then all of a sudden it was like 1 a.m. 1 a.m. I was like, (gasps) wow. It was so exciting. I was like, I have a whole nother hour. Yeah. It was wonderful. That's great. An extra hour of weekend. Yes. (laughs) Or of work. And an extra hour of fasting. Yes. That's true. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Shall we jump into today's questions? Yes, let's do it. And our first one is from Rachel, and the subject is, I love your podcast and dot, dot, dot. And then she goes on to say, I can actually relate to it. The methods you talk about and just the way you talk about IF make it seem like something I could totally do. And a side note, Rachel, yes, that's because you totally can. (laughs) We're glad that that comes across. Back to her question. I just started listening today and began with episode two. You said something that resonated with me about how if you're an average woman with a desk job as opposed to a bodybuilder or something, you definitely need to shorten your eating window. This is something I hadn't heard before, and it's probably the reason my previous attempts at IF didn't go so well. I'm just an average lady with a desk job, and I was working with a six to eight hour eating window. What type of eating window would work best for the average person with a desk job who is just getting started? What do you think, Melanie? All right. Well, hi, Rachel. Thank you so much for your question. So I'm guessing if you're doing a six to eight hour eating window with a desk job that you're eating while at work, is that what you're thinking, Jen? That she's eating at work and then eating at home? I would think so, yes, because back when I um, tried to do an eight hour eating window here and there, I did always have food at, at work. She could even be eating just during work, but I'm guessing she's probably doing like lunch and dinner. That's just what I'm guessing. My go-to recommendation for intermittent fasting with a desk job is not eating while at the desk. <laughs> That's my uh, my go-to if you can if you can swing it. I like to keep the eating window when you get off of work. I just find that it in a way kind of mitigates the detrimental effects from sitting all day at a desk job. Yeah. So I would suggest like one meal a day with dinner. She could do like a specific eating window and do a smaller hour approach. Or she could just do one meal a day with dinner with no time restraints on dinner. The thing is, if she does have like a typical desk job where she's getting up early, she's probably going to bed sort of early. So that kind of puts an end on her window in any case. What are your thoughts, Jen? Yeah, that's a great question. And for me... An eating window of longer than five hours did not lead to weight loss. Um, So that's me. Now, there are people in my intermittent fasting support groups, women, who have an eight-hour window and do well. But, you know, I I don't know how their eating compares to my eating. I would... um, I would probably guess they're not eating big meals, whereas I guess I like to eat a big meal. So <laughs> that could be why I didn't do as well with the with the longer window because I could shove in there two big meals instead of just one. So I'm not going to say that a six to eight hour window could never work for someone, even at a desk, desk job, but you're saying that your previous attempts, Rachel, did not go very well. And so that to me is a big clue that you do need a shorter window. Now, I don't like to eat at work, just like Melanie said. It's a lot easier for me. I don't have to worry about food or take food. I'm a lot more productive at work. I work through lunch, and then I just go home and and eat when I get there. 
and all the good food is at my house. So I don't have to, you know, think about what could be at work. But I do have a lot of coworkers who do intermittent fasting, and a good number of them will bring a snack to work, and they'll open their window maybe at 2 o'clock with a snack. Some of them will have, like, yogurt and fruit or something like that or, or something small, and then they'll eat dinner when they get home. They're still eating one real meal a day, um, but they'll, they'll start with the snack while still at work. So really, there is no one-size-fits-all way to do intermittent fasting, and you've got to just see, are you getting results? So if you do a six- to eight-hour window and you find that you're not getting results, you know that you're going to need to tweak something. And so one of the easiest things to tweak is to shorten your window. A lot of people find also that they get better um, appetite control or appetite correction if they wait and have a shorter window. And if you have a longer window, you don't get those um, I'm full signals sometimes as, as easily as someone with a shorter window. So that's just something to, to keep in mind. All good stuff. Okay, so up next, we actually have three questions, which are sort of related, but they tap into a general overall topic. We're going to lump them together and then address everything. You'll see. You'll see what I'm saying. <laughs> so uh, the first question comes from D, and the subject is calorie restriction versus IF weight loss. And D says, hello, ladies. I read so much info about IF and listened to all of your podcasts, some more than once. Thanks for doing them. They make my day and answer so many questions for me. I'm wondering about the physiology of the traditional calorie-restrictive dieting methodology and the successful results of weight loss. I understand the set point changes, hence weight is often regained, but if during these diets insulin is not restricted due to continuous eating, are the fat stores accessed at all? How does the fat get released if insulin is the key to lock up this fuel source? Thanks again. This podcast is the best, and she has one, two, three, four five exclamation points after best. All right. And then the second question comes from Kathy. The subject is eating fat and using fat for energy. And Kathy says, I understand when we become fat adapted, we are using our own stored fat for energy. What happens when we eat healthy fats? Is that fat burned and used for energy before our own stored fat? Would it make more sense to eat low fat so our stored fat could be burned for energy sooner? I know some fat goes to our liver and is used for energy. If we eat too many calories, it is stored in our fat cells. I'm just confused. I know eating fat doesn't make us fat, and healthy fats are essential for good health. I just don't understand the whole process of assimilating it. Thank you for your response. I actually had a podcast marathon and listened to all of your podcasts over the weekend. You girls are awesome. The third question comes from Anne, and the subject is fat loss. And Anne says... Hi, Jen and Melanie. I am a huge fan of yours. I have a few questions about fat loss. When you lose weight, where does the fat go? How does it leave the body? I.e. bowel movements, sweat, urine, breath exhalations. I've heard so many conflicting things about where it goes and how it leaves. It's fascinating for sure. Thank you for being awesome. So yeah, so as you can see, these three questions, they all kind of tap into an overall subject of fat burning and insulin and fat use, fat storage, dietary fat, body fat, all the stuff. So we thought we would just kind of tackle that complicated topic <laughs> as best we can. Yes, this is a very complicated <laughs> set of questions because 
a lot is going on in the body at any given time. And so often we um, oversimplify what's happening at any given moment. And so we're like, you know, X, Y, Z, when really it's more like A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, H, you know what I'm saying? There's a lot going on. That's such a good way of putting it. People say it's like three alphabet letters, but it's really the whole alphabet. It's the whole alphabet. Yeah, our body is the whole alphabet, and it's all happening at once. I'm going to start with um, with Anne's question, the last one first, about what happens. Where does the fat go? There is a fabulous TED Talk that I actually – we will link in the podcast um, show notes. And I watched it a while back, and it's called The Mathematics of Weight Loss, and it's by Ruben Meerman, I believe. And um, you need to watch the whole thing because, you know – Melanie and I are not physiologists, physicians, you know, we read a lot, we we understand a lot about how this works, but it really is very complicated. So if you watch this TED Talk, he gets into the, um, the specifics of it, and the final thing you need to know is after your body has used your fat and taken it out of your fat cells, it changes it into some different things. Your body uses it um, for energy, yes, but it converts it into the energy that you're using, but also you end up with carbon dioxide and water out of out of these fat cells after your body is, has used it. So about 84% of it is exhaled through your your breath. When you breathe out, it goes out as carbon carbon dioxide. And then you also have, like I said, water. So watch the TED Talk because it's really, really interesting. And I don't want to um, – to misrepresent any of it because it is a very complicated process, but it's fascinating. So every time you breathe out while you're in the fasted state, you can know you are breathing out some of that, (laughs) what was left over from the stored fat. That's really fascinating. Have you ever seen that pot, that, um, that Ted talk? No, I'm definitely going to have to watch it. That's exciting. I'm going to, I'm going to watch it. Hi friends. So I'm sort of haunted by clothes. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that I love wearing all the new clothes all the time. And I know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet. That's why I am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste. And I'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free. That's right, I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands, and it is so incredibly easy. It's called MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like a hundred brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hacked. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order so you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste. 
Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous. And they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to MelanieAvalonsCloset.com to sign up free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalonsCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalonsCloset.com for all of the clothes none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's MelanieAvalonsCloset.com. And I will go ahead and throw in a little another piece of information about the fat while we're talking about the fat. A fat molecule, which is also known as a triglyceride, it's basically a glycerol backbone, which is essentially a carbohydrate, and then three fatty acids. And when we burn our body fat, it gets broken down into that glycerol and then those fatty acids, just if you're curious about the actual, what it gets broken down into. And then those fatty acids are what get used um, for energy throughout the body. Are converted into ketones for the energy. All right. So now let me go back to Kathy's question. I'm kind of going in reverse order here. And Kathy said, um, this is this is something that's very interesting because I think that people have gotten a misunderstanding about fat. And Kathy says, I know eating fat doesn't make us fat and healthy fats are essential for good health. Well, part of that is true and part of it is not. Oh my goodness, I had the exact same response. Yeah. I was like, well, <laughs> not exactly. <laughs> because you see, we've gotten to the some kind of message that, oh, um, eating fat you know, you're not going to get fat from eating fat. Well, yes, your body does actually store excess fat that you eat in your fat. It stores it there. So, and pretty easily, if- pretty easily. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why, for example, if you're trying to lose weight, it doesn't make sense to, you know, add as much fat as you can. And, and a lot of people, you know, Dr. Fung, Jason Fung has a blog post about this. I can't remember the exact one, but he talks about how, it's something about fat bombs, you know, people who are trying to lose weight and they add in the fat bombs. That's a really popular um, thing to do in the, the ketogenic community. They're like, fat's great. Let's eat as much as we can. Your body will actually not be able to access your stored fat if you already have a lot of fat coming in that you're eating. And also your body will store the excess fat <laughs> as fat. So um, what did you want to add about that, Melanie? That was my first thought. I read the I know that fat doesn't make us fat. I think it's a good thing that we are no longer fat phobic like we used to be, but that doesn't mean you can just eat unlimited fat and not gain fat. Actually, out of fat, protein, and carbs, eating fat is the thing that's going to most easily be stored as fat. Of course, the thing is when you're doing a ketogenic or a low-carb diet, there are two reasons that it's unlikely that you'll gain excess fat 
from dietary fat right away. And that's because A, the diet is so satiating that people tend to naturally control their intake. And then B, without the presence of insulin, it's much more unlikely that you'll go crazy with fat storage. But in the overall big picture of everything, I believe it comes down to overall energy intake like overall energy status, I think that's really important. I mean, that's the whole debate. That's the debate. There's like the the low carb versus calorie debate. People are always like, oh, but if you're low carb, it's impossible for your body to actually store fat without insulin. It's It's a huge debate. I actually recommend, and we'll put links to this in the show notes, but Chris Masterdon, who I've talked about on the podcast before, he has a few different podcasts and the online transcripts that go with them where he breaks this down very scientifically, very specifically about exactly how insulin plays a role, exactly about how fat plays a role, exactly how everything goes down and whether or not you can store fat on low-carb diets, just everything. So I, I'll put links to that in the show notes, but it's um, it's really, really fascinating. And his conclusion would be, yes, you can, right? Yeah, his conclusion is that in the end, it's all about overall energy status. He talks a lot about insulin, and he says, for example, that true, if you have an insulin release, you will be storing energy from you know carbohydrates, for example, rather than fat per se. But in the end, you're switching the fuel substrate you're using, and in the end, it's about overall energy status. And um, contrary to popular belief, according to him and according to my other research, it's actually less common than people may think that the body generates fat from excess carbohydrates. It seems like for most people, especially people who are normal, don't have insulin sensitivity problems and such, that the body does not easily create lots of excess fat if you go overboard on carbohydrates. It really requires lots of excess calories and lots of messed up signaling. So the carbohydrate weight gain thing is kind of a little bit misunderstood. And the one last thing I will throw out there, if you're curious about the order of when you eat dietary fat, where it goes. So basically when you eat dietary fat, if you're in a quote, low energy status, if your body needs energy, then the cells throughout your body have an upregulated, I don't know if it's like a hormone or a signal, but it's called lipoprotein lipase, LPL, and that encourages the cells to take in energy. It's very interesting. So first it goes into your lymph system to get processed, and then it goes to the heart first, and then it goes to the arteries, and then it goes to the muscles, and then it goes to the organs, and then it goes to your fat tissue. So when you're in a calorie deficit or you're doing intermittent fasting or something like that, the the fat's going to go a lot of other places before it actually gets stored. That is true, but it does ultimately, it will get stored eventually. Sorry, that was a lot of stuff. (laughs) No, it's all, it's, it's all, like I said, it's very, very complicated and it's not just as simple as we like to think that it is, you know, like do this and this will happen. It's, there's so much going on in there. Um, and it makes me think back to when I tried keto for myself back in that summer of 2014. And, you know, I didn't lose any weight at all. And <laughs> I was like eating lots and lots of fat and drinking lots and lots of bulletproof coffee. And I lost zero fat <laughs> the whole time. So, you know, I didn't gain any weight at the time. But again, like you said, um, it's it's because you could only eat so much. But I just, I didn't. I didn't lose any fat at all. 
So, yeah, it's kind of like our past discussions of bulletproof coffee. If, if you're putting in 800 calories of fat in your coffee, I mean, that is 800 calories. <laughs> yeah, I mean it is. Uh-huh. And and we talk about how we don't recommend counting calories, and then people mm-hmm. interpret that to mean that the volume that you're consuming is irrelevant and doesn't matter, and that's also not true. Now, counting calories is very flawed as far as like, you know, you can't determine what your body's going to do with those calories. We've talked about that before. Is your body going to um, use them, store them, upregulate your metabolism, downregulate your metabolism? Your body can do lots and lots of things based on what's happening, what the calories are, what the food you're eating is composed of. So people tend to think, oh, well, since, you know, we don't want to count calories, then we can just eat as much as we want. Volume doesn't matter. That reminds me something that Chris Masterjohn said in his post was that we have this idea, for example, that insulin automatically creates the storage of carbohydrates or the storage of energy. But in the end, it's up to the cells about whether or not they listen to the insulin. <laughs> um, so that's why we have problems like insulin resistance and things like that. Just because certain signals are happening on that level doesn't even mean that the cells will take in fat or won't take in fat. It's just very, very complicated. I like what you said about the calories. It's it's so complicated and we just, there's so much going on that we don't even control. Right. So we don't recommend counting calories, but we do say that you can eat too much. So that's, you know, it sounds like, well, then you're just saying that it's all about the calories. Well, you know, you can't control by counting your calories, what your body's going to do with, and, and you don't know how many calories your body needs. I mean, you can like do all these formulas and whatever, but your body is doing different things from day to day and from moment to moment. So, um, it's just very interesting to, to, realize that it's not in as much control as you think that it is. It's all happening hormonally and and it, uh, without you having to even think about it. Yeah. And then something else I'll throw in. Like, so in Kathy's question, she says, what happens when we eat healthy fats? So I think also there's this idea that, oh, if a fat is healthy, that means it won't start fat storage. <laughs> but if it's unhealthy, it will. But it's just, it's very complicated I mean, then there's the whole, and I'm not even going to go into this, but then there's the whole tangent about true medium chain triglyceride fats found in things like coconut oil, for example. So those fats are preferentially burned by the liver. They don't even go through the lymph system. So then people will say, oh, they can't create fat storage, which maybe they can't. I don't even know. Like, it's just, it's very complicated is our takeaway. Right. And even if they're not going straight into fat storage, they are preventing your body from burning your own fat. So it's a trade-off. Exactly. They're giving you energy. Right. So you're burning that instead of burning something right. else. Right. You're burning the fat from your coffee cup instead of the fat from your body. So, you know, that's why I think the clean fast is so important. You just, you get to your eating window and then you eat to satiety and you let your body tell you when you've had enough. And I don't overthink the composition of my my meals. I eat what is delicious. You know, if I find that baked potato needs more butter, I put it on there. (laughs) I don't think about, I've just added 100 calories more of butter. I don't even care. And I find that I get full and I stop eating and then I don't eat anymore. So I I think our bodies are supposed to tell us this type of thing. Hey, you've had enough, stop eating. Also, I think that's a reason that 
intermittent fasting is so effective for fat loss compared to something like a calorie, a typical calorie restrictive diet, because it does force this state where you basically have to get energy from your body fat. Right. Like in any other situation, if you're eating throughout the day, your body could be getting energy from what you're eating. But when you, when you hit the fastest state, especially for quite a while, I mean, your body has to go to your body fat, right? Like I mean, where else is it going to go? So that's one reason I think it's really effective just by necessity. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And now we haven't even talked about Dee's question yet. She asked about, um, the, the difference between traditional calorie restrictive dieting versus, um, intermittent fasting. And, Honestly, the very, very best blog post, and, and we will link this one too, that I've ever read about this is also Dr. Jason Fung, and it's called The Difference Between Calorie Restriction and Fasting. And he really, he's he's funny if you haven't read his blog or his books. Um, I really enjoy reading it, but he does a great job really highlighting the difference between the two. So, you know, she mentioned insulin and having insulin high and you know, how are you possibly losing weight on a, on a traditional diet where you're eating all day long? And it has to do with what's happening in your body when you're eating all day long, like Melanie just, just discussed. When you're fasting, there are hormonal adaptations that occur, and you're, you're tapping into your own fat stores during the day. And so then your body sees that you've got plenty of stored energy and your body actually upregulates your your metabolism, and it also has you know you have increased growth hormone, your lean mass is maintained. So a lot happens during the fast that doesn't happen if you're eating small meals throughout the day. And so I like to think about the history of of when we would be you know in the fasted state if you go back you know hundreds of years, if you were having um having to look for food for example out in the wilderness and you wouldn't have food so your body would have to upregulate your metabolism and keep you at an energy level where you could go and look for that food and you would be able to access your stored fat because that is why it's there versus you know people were not sitting around eating you know, a, a 1200 calorie a day diet back then where they were eating little mini meals all day long. Our bodies are not designed for those little mini meals. That's not the way we're set up. So when we eat all those little mini meals all the time, we're actually not supposed to be eating constantly. And and that's when we start getting into all these, all these disruptions within the body hormonally. We lose our satiety signals. We also, our bodies can't tell you know, they lose track of how much stored energy we have because we're not accessing it efficiently. So we eat a little tiny mini meal and then, you know, our, our insulin is high and then our body uses that energy from that little meal. And then instead of tapping into the fat stores, which is hard and requires some metabolic things to happen, our bodies like send down some more food. So then you're really, really hungry. And then over time, your body starts to think, hey, we're having an energy deficit here. Your body can see it and sense it because you're not able to really like tap into that fat storage. And so then you start, um, you start slow, your, your metabolic rate starts to slow. And um, Jason Fung 
talks about it as like a freezer in the basement, you know, that's where your fat is. And you're going to um, not want to go down to that freezer in the basement if you've got lots and lots of food right there in the fridge in your kitchen. So it's kind of a similar idea. A friend of mine also uses an analogy of like a motorcycle with the storage tank with extra fuel versus your primary storage tank for your motorcycle. And so if you're driving your motorcycle and every so often you refill that primary storage tank, you're never going to access the reserve tank ever. And that fuel is just going to stay there and you're never getting to it. You just keep running off of that primary tank. So I hope that that makes sense. What do you think, Melanie? Yeah, I think that's great. There's also like the analogy of like a checking versus a savings account, like only using your checking account or like with your cell phone, if you had a backup battery, like only using the actual phone battery and charging it constantly rather than the backup battery. So yeah, I think that's all great. And we'll put a link in the show notes to um to that blog post. It's really a good blog post and it, it explains a lot. And, you know, you you will lose weight on a low calorie diet. We've all done that. We've all done a traditional low calorie diet and lost weight, but you end up with the slowed metabolism and it's really hard to maintain. You're going to be hungry. So what happens is different. So yeah, you're, you're able to burn fat. But you also lose more lean muscle mass in the process than you do with intermittent fasting. So, you know, saying that no one can ever lose fat if they're doing a low calorie diet and eating many meals all day, of course they can, they will, but there are also other consequences. You have to, in a way you have to, it's just going to be miserable and not good for you. Right, right. My thoughts about all of this are constantly evolving. I used to think, oh, if you're low carb, you could eat all you wanted and be fine and and that calories had nothing to do with it. My current thought is that I think people will lose weight most likely if they do either high fat, low carb or low fat, high carb or in the middle, but are paying attention to their calorie consumption. That's just my current thought on the issue. Or just, you know, the volume of food. And that's where the appetite correction comes in through the intermittent fasting. When you when you have your eating window and you get full, you're not overeating. So that's that's really the key to it all. Because, yes, you absolutely can overeat even with intermittent fasting and then gain weight or not lose weight. So it, there is no magical way because trust me I looked for it (laughs) (laughs) I know the magical way to eat all day long whatever you wanted I've tried them all you know like the Ducan diet yeah where you basically just just eating lean protein I tried that you did oh yeah I tried them all but that this was maybe in I don't know 2012 I don't know whenever it was really big oh I was miserable on that one I was gonna say something like that I don't think it's healthy I don't think you should do it but that would be something that would be, I feel, I guess, less likely to make you gain weight just because of the nature of your only taking in lean protein. Well, I wanted to die. So that that was, that was really, really the worst I ever felt on any eating strategy was that one. Interesting. The no fat. See, I, um, I don't do well with, with lots and lots of protein and, um, my my DNA results actually show that I'm I've got that profile that does better on the lower protein way of eating, um, which is interesting. But I mean I didn't know that at the time. But I felt so bad on that plan without the fat and the carbs, and all I was having was that lean protein. I mean I felt like I was going to die. And I I do better with with higher fat and higher carbs. That's really how I feel the best. Yeah, it's really interesting. 
I, I, I don't even know about me now because in the past I have done periods of super high lean protein. Like I think I do really well with protein, but when I try bouts of less protein, I feel less, I don't know, inflamed. Yeah. Audience, friends, listeners, I think about all of this way too much all the time. <laughs> I, like, it's just fascinating. But the takeaway is it's complicated. It is complicated. And I have learned to just listen to how I feel. I don't feel well when I eat giant, giant lots and lots of just meat. But I do need to have some meat. So I, I eat some meat, but I feel great with lots of fat and high-quality carbs. And, you know, people don't understand what carbs are. They think if you eat a lot of carbs, you're eating, you know, potato chips. And that's not the same thing. There are junky proteins and junky fats and junky carbs. And so saying carbs doesn't mean, you know, when I say I eat a lot of fat and a lot of carbs, I'm talking about a big old baked potato with butter and sour cream. And to me, that is not junk food. It makes me feel great when I eat it. So, Like for me, carbs manifest as currently lots of fruit and stuff. Yeah. Then there's the whole like starch for sugar debate. Yeah. Okay, I can't. There's yeah, so too much. much. It's too much. But yeah, it's just so much. I actually don't eat a lot of fruit, which is interesting. Someone asked me on the Facebook group yesterday. They're like, I notice you don't ever seem to eat fruit. I'm like, well, you're right. I really don't eat a lot of fruit. But then I started thinking about it and I realized that I actually do eat a lot of botanical fruits. Like if you think about tomatoes as fruit and squash as fruit. Mm. Cucumber. Avocado. I don't eat cucumbers, but avocado. Vegetable, right. Right. Oh, right. I forgot I, about that. I eat savory fruit. <laughs> Instead of the sweet fruit. I've even heard green beans are the fruit of the plant, but they're not a fruit. Well, they got the seeds in there. Then they're a pod. So, you know, we all have heard the famous, you know, tomatoes are a fruit. But really, there's lots and lots of vegetables that are, are technically the fruit of the plant. Mm-hmm. Squashes, okay. aren't they? Yeah, or- well, yeah, squash is a fruit. Anything that starts off – here's your science lesson today, people. Anything that starts off as a flower – and then grows into the the part that has the seeds inside of it. That's the fruit of the plant. You know, our vegetables can be leaves. They can be roots. You know, things that we consider to be vegetables can be yeah. can be any part of a plant. But things that we consider to be fruits are generally just the fruit. But lots and lots of vegetables are technically, botanically, also fruit. Not just the tomato. Like any, you know, five-year-old could tell you, a tomato is a fruit. But yeah. there are lots, it all goes back to a court case, a Supreme Court case that had to do with taxes. And then they ruled that the tomato was technically a fruit because it is. And so then that's like the one everyone talks about. That's fascinating. I didn't know that. I mean, I knew about the tomatoes being fruit, obviously, but that I don't know about the court case. Yeah, I know a lot of things. <laughs> well, that's why we always say, well, tomato is really a fruit. Well, yes, it is, but so are lots of others. But they just didn't have a court case. That's really funny. (laughs) It is funny. The things that we like, you know, deem important like that one. So I hope we answered all those questions about what happens in your body um, instead of leaving people more confused than ever. Listeners, if you want further details about everything, we'll put links to Jason Fung's stuff, Chris Masterjohn, also that TED Talk. So you can uh, get more details. So to get those show notes, you can go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 31. Now I sound like a commercial. A commercial for ourselves. All right. All right. We're ready for our next question from Hector. And Hector, his subject is 16-8, which would be 16 hours of fasting a day with an eight-hour eating window. And Hector says, I've been doing 16-8 for about three weeks 
and I'm wondering. I always have my first meal at 12 and second meal at 7 and close my window at 8. I never have snacks. Does that count as fasting during 1 through 6 or like 1 p.m. to 6 p.m.? I don't think we've ever actually addressed this. Basically, the concept of in your eating window, if you eat and then don't eat for a few hours and then close your window eating, did you fast in between? Now, I just wrote no. It doesn't count as fasting. But but then I thought about it. And I was like, well, sort of. But no. I mean, I guess it depends. The answer is no, but. The answer is no, but <laughs> from our perspective, for the intermittent fasting, fat-burning, fasted state, no. Probably no. I would say no. I mean, I guess if, you're, if your first meal at 12 was like a, a carrot. Your body then- <laughs> could get back into the fasted state in there. That's true. Right? If you had like a lettuce leaf. Or if you ate like an apple maybe. Yeah. I know that's like sugar, but then you just filled your glycogen. And- right. But if you eat two substantial meals, um, you're most likely going to be digesting the food, running off of the food in between. For the practical application of intermittent fasting, do not count within your eating window as fasting. It's a takeaway, I believe. Yes? You know, your your body is either in the fed state or the fasted state. And as we've said before, it doesn't happen like a switch that you flip. Like, boom, now I'm in the fed state. Boom, now I'm in the fasted state. It's more of a process. So if you eat at noon, you have your lunch, you're clearly in the fed state. So now your body's going to be going through that for a while, working on those foods. And like like I said a minute ago, if you just only ate like something really tiny, you know, your body could get get back into the fasted state technically in between those meals. But it, it really just depends. It depends on so many factors. So we don't count that as the fasted state, no, because probably, you know, you're not going to get into the ketosis again in between. It depends on what you ate. But technically in the intermittent fasting world, when you wake up, you know, you're still fasting. And then when you have that first meal of the day, that's your window or your first food of the day, your window opens. And then when you have your last food for the day, that's when it stops. You know, generally, um, a rule of thumb is that people tend to say throughout the intermittent fasting community that it takes 12 to 16 hours to really get into that good fasted state after your last meal, like where your body is really now accessing your fat again. So 12 to 16 hours is just the rule of thumb that we see frequently for, for when that happens. Yeah, exactly. So you you yourself can be, quote, fasting, but you're likely in the fed state if it's within your eating window. Yeah. And really, I mean, I've heard people say that. They're like, well, you're even though you ate, you know, your body's still in the fed state, so don't count it. But we don't know when exactly your body's going to switch over. So we just technically say first bite of food to the last bite of food for the day. That's your eating window. And we should also address on the flip side similar concept we do count once you close your window the beginning of your fast even though you're still in the fed state similar to when you're in between the meals so it's like the same state but that's when the quote fasting window starts right that's just that's just the way people you know use the terminology in practice that's that's what what people mean all right so our next question to keep things complicated. We should call this, this is like the complicated episode. It really is. Because when I was looking over the questions, I was like, 
This is a hard one, Melanie. My bad. Good thing I'm ready to go. That's all right. We'll we'll get them out of the way today. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, friends. Now, if you're anything like me, you love biohacking, intermittent fasting, and getting feedback and data on what our bodies are doing. Now, when we do intermittent fasting or extended or prolonged fasting, it's hard to get feedback sometimes on how our bodies are doing in terms of fat burning and ketosis. This is one of the reasons that I created the Tone device, which is a breath ketone analyzer. It can tell you the rate of fat burning your body is in by detecting the ketones on your breath. If you practice intermittent fasting, time-restricted eating, do an occasional 24-hour fast like once a week, or prolonged or extended fasting, it's likely your body is getting into light ketosis. If you are doing keto or low-carb, even sometimes paleo, you may be getting into a deeper state of fat burning and ketosis. If you do a high-carb diet, then you probably get into a light state of ketosis after some fasting. What I love about the tone is that you can simply breathe into it for about four to five seconds, and it will give you instant feedback on the rate of fat burning that your body is at. Now, when we are in ketosis, our bodies are at their highest rate of fat burning, which is what is so neat. We actually breathe out our fat. So the carbons that we are measuring with the tone device are actually coming from our fat. When we practice different approaches like intermittent fasting or doing time-restricted eating, lower-carb diets or keto approaches, our bodies actually make a metabolic switch where fat becomes our primary fuel. And the body takes fat and converts it into ketones in the liver. About 15 to 20% of those circulating ketones are then diffused through our lungs, out in our breath. And it is so amazing. I absolutely love using the tone every single day. I love the biofeedback, especially when I am doing any kind of fasting. And I can see my body gradually get into a deeper and deeper state of fat burning through those ketone levels going higher and higher. Now, one of the reasons I created the tone is because testing blood ketones is cost prohibitive. The test strips are extremely expensive. They are wasteful. You no longer have to buy test strips anymore. You can just breathe into the tone device for four to five seconds and get that instant feedback. It's a one-time investment and you'll be able to test an unlimited amount of times. I always recommend testing with the tone device fasted first thing in the morning and testing up until you have your first meal of the day and you will be able to see different Differences there, especially if you do a longer fast, you'll see the ketones go higher and higher, and it really is so great to get that biofeedback. Now, for the past year and a half, I've been working on a brand new version of the tone, the second generation tone device, and I am so excited for it to soon be available to you all. I wanted to create a special launch discount for the tone device so that any of you who are interested can take advantage of that discount. I I've never discounted the tone device before, but if you are signed up to the exclusive VIP list, you will receive that launch discount. To sign up for the list, you can go to tonedevice.com and enter your name and email address, and you will receive an email which you can confirm to double opt in, and you'll be the first to know when the new second generation tone device is available to order, and you will also receive that exclusive launch discount. I am so 
so excited for you all to try it. So be sure to go and sign up at tonedevice.com. All right, now back to our show. All right, so our next question, which may be one of the most complicated questions we've received, is from Nathan, and the subject is ratios and consistency. And Nathan says, Hello, I enjoy listening to your weekly informative podcasts. The depth of information is always appreciated. I have a different type of question, which I think you've covered at least partially before, but maybe not in this format. Okay, here we go. Using a mathematical... <laughs> Okay, using a mathematical interpretation of the 5-2 plan, it's essentially fasting for 48 hours out of the total 168 hours in a week, either as a single 48-hour block or two 24-hour blocks. On the other hand, fasting using 24 on a daily basis would be fasting for 140 hours per week and have the remaining 28 hours per week available to eat. I guess plus or minus whenever your last bite is until your next bite, but since it takes approximately eight hours to enter the fasted state, I didn't count that portion for either calculation in an attempt to try and make the comparison a little more practical. And that's exactly what we were just talking about, so I like that. That's hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even... Yeah, we don't count that. Oh, that's, that's so funny. When I first read that, I thought he meant right after closing the window, but he's talking about like the previous question. Your body is still processing the food. Yeah. He did include the eight hours starting when you close your window because I went and did the math. Yeah. He's um he's counting that as fasted state. Right. So basically, basically what we just talked yeah. about. He's, um, okay. Anyway, back to his question. So as a percentage, 24 would be fasting 83% of the week versus 5-2, the fasting period would be 28% of the week. That being said, I also think that I realize slash understand that for every hour spent once in a fasted state, you reap the benefits of autophagy, fat burning, HGH production, which is human growth hormone, reducing insulin resistance and swelling, etc. So my question is, does the cumulative effect of the overall increased fasted time on the continuous 24 schedule make it more effective, less effective, or the same as the 5-2 fast? And does the consistency of a 24 versus the deviation of a 5-2 provide a better platform for the body to regulate, or does the inconsistency of the 5-2 keep the body guessing, thus providing an avenue for greater overall results and benefits? I ask these questions, drawing from a history of your podcasts and books, that your answer may be, listen to your body and do whatever works best for you. People know us well. They do. But I'm really more interested in purely numbers at this point, as I feel you two probably have an indexed collection of studies that would give more of an empirical answer to these questions. I, I don't have an indexed collection of studies. I'm just going to throw that, throw that out there. I mean, I do, but not related to this. Um, just as FYI, I've been on the 24 clean fasting version of IF for almost a year because of the simplicity of it, but I'm considering trying a different version just to see if I can add any additional benefits. Thanks for your time, and I hope for your continued success. And listeners might have zoned out during part of me reading that. But basically what Nathan is asking to summarize all of that mathematicalness, he's wondering if there are more benefits to fasting. Do you want to summarize it, Jen? He's asking um, about the, the benefits for a 5-2 plan versus 
daily intermittent fasting. On the 5-2 plan, you would have five days where you, quote, eat normally, like everybody else in the world, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner, whatever. You don't, you just eat. And then the two days, you would be fasting. And he's talking about, like, the percentage of it. Yeah, the percentage of your week. Actually, that those numbers aren't, aren't right. The percentages, and I haven't done the math myself, but um, you do have on the 5-2 plan those two fasting days, but you also have, you know, the sleeping time that wasn't counted in there because you're sleeping. So you actually, when you, when Nathan figured out that your fasting period on five, two is only 28% of the week, that's actually not exactly right because we also are sleeping for, you know, uh, assume that you sleep eight hours a day. I'm just using that as a rule of thumb. That's 33% of your your week right there. So you would have to add that 33% of the time that you're sleeping. Does that make sense? Well, I, I did what he said and I got the exact same numbers. Well, because he's counting that you're only fasting for 48 hours of the week with 5-2, but I mean, you're sleeping for a lot of the week. So you really are fasting longer than 48 hours. Do you see what I'm saying? Oh, I see what you're saying. 48 of your waking hours are in the fasted state. He's not including like fasting that just happens naturally. Yeah. So to like while you're asleep. So to me, I I mean, so his his numbers are right for purposeful fasting. Well, yes. But again, 24, when you think about that four hour eating window and you think about the 20, eight of those are in the sleeping state, right? So those hours also are in the sleeping state when you're doing 5-2. We got to get rid of that 33% that is asleep, while you're asleep because that, that data is included in both sets of numbers. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not. The, the sleeping time is included in the 83% for the 24, but it is not included in the 28%. Does that make sense? Yes, because with daily fasting, your sleep is going to be included in your fast, but with the 48 hour, but with the the five, two fasting, we're fasting two times a week. You're also fasting the other days for your sleeping. I didn't, I didn't think about that. Right. So, so to me, I mean, I just added up 33%, assuming that it's 33% sleeping, but really it's going to be more than that because I don't start eating. Even when I was eating normally, I didn't start eating the second I got out of bed and I didn't, you know, eat up until the minute I got into the bed. So but even with that in mind, even if you did, you roll out of bed and immediately start eating, and right before you get into bed, you immediately go to sleep, that's still 33 more percent of the week. So that would give you 61% for 5-2 versus 83%. So it's not as different as it sounded. So it's still... Still fast more when you do the daily intermittent fasting, but not the difference of 83% versus 28%. It's more of like 83% versus 61% at the very least, and probably more than that. Then some of that, and I think this is what he's asking, even though he wants the specific mathematicalness, the difference still is that with a daily fasting, it's, quote, lighter fasting every day, whereas with a 5-2, you're going to get into a period of longer fasting. And it's really not even that much longer because the way most people do 5-2, they don't do a full fast on those two days. Most of them do a, it's really a low calorie eating day and not so much a fast after all. Because if you read the 5-2 plan, you're supposed to like eat 500 calories, however you want to, you know, divide it up throughout that whole day. Very few people do a full fast on, um, on 5-2. So 
I will say, so this is how I was interpreting the question. And I feel like this kind of does a disservice to Nathan because, like I said, he is asking about the mathematical specifics. But in a general view, I feel like the general overall question is, are you getting more benefits from daily shorter fasting or do you get more benefits from occasional longer fasting? The way he has it structured with his 5-2 plan, you're not really getting much more because he's talking about doing two 24-hour fasts for 5-2 versus every day doing 20. There's not much difference in a 20 and a 24. A better example would be like 16-8 versus... um... Yeah, I think so. So I I don't know. Nathan, I'm going to say, quote, listen to your body and do whatever (laughs) works best for you. And yes, I'm quoting you back to you. But really, honestly... I do think there are more benefits in the daily fast like that than than with a um a five two plan. Um, I think you're you're obviously getting more fasting in as as you calculated, not quite as much as as eighty two percent or eighty three percent of the of the week. Well, actually, yeah, that is eighty three percent of the week. But he does talk about you could do a single forty eight hour block of fasting. You could, but then you're still going to have that fasting that you do every night while you're sleeping. And and that counts as as well. Every day you're going to have a little bit more fasting just from the sleeping. You know, I don't know. I don't like to do the longer fast. I like to eat every day. So are there going to be some benefits in there after, you know, in between the 20, if you're doing a 48-hour fast between 24 and 48? I mean, yeah, you know, that's great for lowering insulin resistance if you have um, have like a reason that you're doing it. Yeah. What I came up with, and I was really proud when I came up with this. I kind of see it as as fasting every day. It's like daily cleaning, like keeping everything clean all the time. Whereas having a longer fast at some point, if you did like, for example, the 48 hour, that's like a, a deep cleaning mode. That's like going in and really scrubbing. Yeah. But um, you don't need to do that that often, especially if you're doing the daily cleaning I think, I think that's a great point. And, you know, he mentioned, you know, do we have a lot of studies about this? Well, no, because there aren't a lot of studies comparing this. That's the thing. Um, yeah, the, yeah. The studies, the studies on fasting are, are slim out there and hopefully they'll be becoming more and more over time. But, um, you know, we just don't have, we don't have a lot out there. There are a few that we've read. I mean, we, we do know that, that the longer, you fast, the more and more, like I said, with the deep cleaning, you're going to have more and more autophagy, more and more use of that um, that buildup. But there aren't really studies comparing. Comparing the two, right? We don't have We don't have a comparison of the two. And that would be great to see. I would love to see it. You know, different comparisons of, um, I'd love to see, for example, a study comparing clean fasting to dirty fasting. That would be nice. You know, that would be great and to see what would happen with this versus that. And, but it's really hard to design a study like that. And also, um, fasting is hard to study just because people don't either don't want to do the fasting or they think people can't do the fasting or, or, you know, and there's still a huge, huge stigma, you know, it's kind of like the studies that they're doing right now, um, Dr. Walter Longo with the fasting mimicking di- mimicking diet. Yes, I was going to bring that up. Basically, I heard him say in an interview that 
he created the fasting mimicking diet because people were hesitant to put their patients on an actual fast. And so it was a hard, he had a hard time getting the studies going because the stigma related to the idea of fasting. So they're like, well, what could we do that's close enough? For listeners, it's basically a diet which stimulates metabolically and hormonally the fasted state even though you're still eating at least the benefits of the fasted state while still eating so in a way it allows you to do quote longer fasting and get the benefits of longer fasting while still eating and still taking in adequate nutrients it's quite fascinating i actually have a um a very long post on it on my personal website so i'll put a, a link to that in the show notes which again ifpodcast.com slash episode 31 Sorry, Nathan. I feel like <laughs> I feel like you wanted a more probably likely a more specific answer, but yeah, that's all. I, that's all I got. <laughs> yeah, but Nathan, I do want to say this. I love, 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 love the question because that is exactly the kind of of stuff I used to write down when I was trying to figure out what intermittent fasting plan I was going to follow long term for maintenance. I would draw these little charts and I would figure out, you know, how many meals would this mean I'm eating in a week versus, you know, how much fasted time, how much eating time. So I completely get you, Nathan, as far as trying to figure it all out because that is exactly the kind of stuff I used to do. And now I don't. I just open my window, eat, close my window, go to bed. So, but I I am a data person. I love the numbers. We get you. I am too. We get you. We understand. And i that's why I love the question so much because even though we did not fully answer it because um, <laughs> it's really complicated. Again, but this, this is the complicated show. Um, it was a very interesting question and it just reminded me very much of myself and how I used to try to try to figure it all out. But now I really have simplified it. I was always in growing up like Math Olympics. Oh, that is hilarious because I actually do Math Olympiad with my um, oh, you. <laughs> with my fourth and fifth graders. I never got higher than third place though, and I was always really sad. Oh, yeah, we're having our first competition in a couple of weeks. Our first Math Olympiad competition. Yeah. I love it. It's my favorite. So is Math Olympiad, is that different than Math Olympiad? I don't know. There's a program called Math Olympiad. I don't know if that's the one you did, but it's been around for over 30 years so it might be do all the students show up and then you take the test yeah and then they have an award ceremony right after well you may have done um they have different ways of doing the competition like a math bowl format which might have been the way you did it but it is taking the test Ours was like you're either computation or reasoning i was always computation okay and then that's a slightly different program math olympiad must be slightly different that's math olympics okay (laughs) Which was my thing. (laughs) Well, I love it. I love doing it with my kids. So we do Math Olympiad. I'm going to have them figure this out. So look at the the percentage. Oh, yes, please bring up this question in class. Please do. All right, children. Because, you know, I work with gifted kids. Guys, we have something for you. I know at least one or two that would figure this out for us. They would love it. But math is my thing. I love teaching. Oh, my goodness. I almost want you to actually do that. Yeah, I might. Maybe I will. (laughs) Please do. (laughs) Uh, Yes, well, we're definitely – I feel like we should just stop there. Yeah, I think we've we've got a lot of of good information out there today. And this was the cerebral. uh, Everybody's going to be scratching their head saying, what did they just tell me? (laughs) I know. Take away. Every episode episode is not this crazy, we promise. You breathe out your fat and carbon dioxide and – 
you can eat too much food. That's yes. <laughs> And it's complicated. The whole alphabet. And it's complicated. And wait, what 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 did what was Nathan's quote? And listen to your body and do whatever works best for you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's the takeaway. As we always. should make that on our website like a headline. Yeah. That's like on every every page. Well, it's just so empowering. And you know, in my Facebook groups, I see people now they're saying this to other people. And it's really just kind of like Everyone feels like they're taking the power back for themselves instead of having to listen to everybody else tell you, here's what to do. You really are learning, hey, I don't have to do that. I can do what is right for me. Exactly. And I love it. I love it too. All right. Well, some things to end with. If you'd like to submit your own question for the podcast, it can be complicated. Clearly, it can be as complicated as you like. <laughs> or math. We like math. <laughs> we like math. <laughs> or it can be really simple. We accept everything. Two ways you can do that. You can send an email to questions at ifpodcast.com. You can also go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. Also at that website, that's where you can get show notes. For, so for this episode specifically, it will be ifpodcast.com slash episode 31. And also, I don't think we talked about anything like products or anything that we liked, but we have a page there as well called ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. And that's where we list all of the books and all of the foods and all of the fasting aids and everything that has come up organically on podcasts. Uh, we put links to the, the brands and the versions that we like there. So you can check out that page. People love that page. And then lastly, you can subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, and then you will get the podcast automatically downloaded every week. So we definitely recommend that you do that. And then while you're in iTunes, we would love ever so much beyond belief if you could write a review. That would just be really awesome. And we would love you. We already do love you. But All right. Any final thoughts from you, Jen, before we ways no i think that that was it and i hope that everything made sense that we said because it was so complicated i hope so like we just had like a whole you know biology lesson i know yeah. do your thing people do your exactly. thing exactly all right <laughs> well i'll talk to you all next right. week thank you bye-bye bye, -bye. bye.